We are in this first Sunday of the month, and we are at the beginning of a new school year, and I am praying that we're at the beginning of a new season for us as a church fellowship. We've been asking the question through the life of Abraham and through the life of David, and, uh, and recently this past month, uh, through, the, through the very able teaching of uh, David Trujillo, we've been looking at the life of Jacob, and we've been asking the question, what is it that's on the heart of God? What is central to God's heart? And the thing that we've seen through the promises to Abraham, through the prophetic announcements of David, and even through the life of Jacob in his struggle to own what God had called him to, what we see God doing is fulfilling his promise, his commitment to gather the nations unto himself. That he will have a people for himself, nations for himself, that he can give to his son, a beautiful bride made up of every tribe, nation, and tongue. This is what is upon the heart of God. David, in Psalm 2, as he was prophesying of the Messiah, God the Father says to God the Son, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Well, the other question we've been asking is this. What about the rest? You see, our priorities should be God's priorities. Amen? The things that are important to the heart of God should be important to us. Amen? Good. Feel free to talk to me during this sermon, okay? I would appreciate that. The things that are important to God should be important to us. And in Ephesians chapter 2, when we read that wonderful passage about by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, etc. Before that, there's a description of who we are apart from Christ, dead in our trespasses and sins, enslaved to the principalities and powers of this world, walking in the course of disobedience of the world. And it says that we were like that. We were objects of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. And the question we're asking is, what about the rest? What about the rest? And how do we respond to this idea of God gathering people to himself, the understanding that there are people who do not know him and that need to know him, the understanding that we are ambassadors sent into this world for this particular purpose of bringing people to Christ. And how do we cross this bridge from knowing something to doing something? Because I think for a lot of us, we struggle and we feel frustrated because there is a lack of congruency between what we know and what we do. We know what we should be doing, but we struggle to do it. Now, here's a key idea, number one. Key idea, three key ideas today. Key idea, key idea. <laughs> number one is this. We've said it, but it's important that we get a hold of it, 
and own it, and that is that we are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. In other words, His inheritance is our inheritance. What is promised to Jesus is promised to us and belongs to us. And we have a particular portion of the inheritance to look after. The people who are in a, uh, the city of Guacamayel in Colombia today, Christians who are there today, that is their portion of the inheritance that they're to be looking after and investing in. People who are in St. Petersburg in Russia, that's their portion of the inheritance that they should be about the business of stewarding and reaching out and praying for. People who live in northern Virginia, this is our portion of the inheritance that we are directly responsible for and should be engaged in trying to reach. Because northern Virginia does not belong to the devil. Northern Virginia belongs to Jesus and therefore belongs to us. Not in a domineering way. Don't hear what I'm saying. Some, somebody would take something I'm saying this morning and they could turn it into some kind of, you know, weird nationalistic bam, bamboozle blasphemy, whatever that. Did I just make up a word? I don't know. But it's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about some kind of domination, I'm not talking about some power play. It belongs to us in this sense that we are stewards, servants who are here on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ who owns this planet, who owns this world, the one who the inheritance belongs to. And therefore, we share in it, and it belongs to us. This is our portion to look after, all right? Are you following me? Everybody just say this with me. This area is my portion. My portion of the inheritance. It belongs to Jesus, so it belongs to me. John records the words of Jesus in John 10 this way. I am the door. If anyone enters by me... He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now let me ask you a question. What is it that the enemy is trying to steal? Now, we are notorious for reading Scripture in the light of what it means for me. What does this Scripture mean for me? So what is the devil trying to steal? Oh, he's trying to steal my peace. What's he trying to kill? Oh, he's trying to kill my joy. Well, what's he want to destroy? He wants to destroy my faith. All right. You can make a case for those things from the Scriptures, but I want to suggest to you that there's a little different way to look at this. When we say, what is the enemy trying to steal? What is he trying to kill 
What is he trying to destroy? Your inheritance. That is what he's trying to steal. That is what he wants to destroy. This portion of our inheritance, our neighbors, our friends, our children, our loved ones, our communities, this area, the enemy wants us to neglect it, not own it, not engage it, and instead just be complacent while he seeks to kill it, destroy it, and steal it. From who? From you and me and our king. <clears throat> now here's the good news. He can't win. But there are casualties along the way. And we must be engaged. We must be people at war all the time. You know, <clears throat> key idea number two here for us is this, is that our definition of spiritual warfare cannot be limited. Again, we tend to be self-centered, self-concerned when we think about these things. And, and there is personal application. But, but when it comes to spiritual warfare, we can, it cannot be limited. When we talk about the, the armor of God and engaging in spiritual battle, it cannot be limited to our own personal trials and battles with sin. If spiritual warfare for us is only about my own personal struggles, my own personal battles, then we are missing, I would suggest, almost the, 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 the majority of what this applies to. Think about it with me for a minute. When you think about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and then the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Let me suggest these ways of looking at that armor, that the helmet of salvation speaks to us knowing the gospel that we are convinced of the gospel, acquainted with the gospel, understand the gospel, and we are wearing that as the crown of our life. The belt of truth contending for the gospel in a world of lies. Are we ready to contend for the truth of God's Word and to stand for His truth in the face of lies and opposition of every kind? The breastplate of righteousness, oh, we've got to have that. If all you've got is just a belt of truth around you, you could become kind of mean. We have to have that breastplate of righteousness. What does the breastplate cover? It covers our what? It covers our heart. It is the compassion of the gospel. Jesus, the Bible says, looked out over the multitudes and his heart broke for them. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he knew that he was the what? The good shepherd, the one that lays down his life for his sheep. He knows the enemy's coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And compassion moves him. And compassion must move 
us. Some of the stridency and the arrogance and the meanness that we see across social media today, the way that Christians talk to each other on social media, on Facebook and Twitter and the like, the way that the kinds of battles that people pick with each other, the kinds of arrogance that are on display, the kinds of negativity that, that just float around nonstop. Oh my goodness, and that's not from unbelievers, that's from believers. That is not compassion. That's whipping your belt of truth off to whip somebody. We must wear a breastplate of righteousness, of a heart for the gospel. Our own gratefulness for our righteousness reminds us that without the gospel, we would not be redeemed. We would not be saved. And so we want to have a heart for the gospel. What about our shoes? That one's already stated for us, isn't it? Shoes. We're ready to share the gospel. We're ready to go forward with the gospel and take the gospel. What about having the sword of the Spirit equipped to communicate the gospel, equipped to speak the gospel to other people, and then the shield of faith fighting the enemy's attempts to stop the gospel from going forward. Have you ever looked at the armor of God this way? What a unique way to just think about this, all in relationship to the idea of what it is that we are to be about. Everything we do, we center it on ourselves. And when we center on ourselves, we become ingrown, we become complacent, we become indifferent to the cries of this world. And people who need Christ. But if we understand that the battle's not just about me overcoming my pride or me overcoming my lust or, or, or me dealing with uh, this particular problem in my life or this hardship in my life or whatever it may be. And again, the, the armor can apply to those things. Don't misunderstand me. But if your life doesn't get bigger than that, you're in trouble. And you will live small. And you will stay focused on the internal and the problems. And all of life will be about getting through stuff. God does not want us to live a life of getting through stuff. He wants us to live a life that in the midst of getting through stuff, we are making an impact for the kingdom of God in our world. Feel free to talk to me during this sermon. To make an impact for the kingdom of God in our world world. And you can't make a dent in the enemy's camp if you don't understand that your warfare is not just about you. It is about this world. David shared with us, I thought what was so great last week was two of the flaming darts, right? Say, the shield of faith. Take the shield of faith by which you'll be able to withstand uh, or quench the flaming darts of the enemy. And he gave us two of those that I thought were so well said that our flesh tends toward two things. One is self-exaltation. Self-exaltation. It will steer us into thinking that some people aren't worth saving, that some people aren't worth the investment, not worth the time. That's somebody I'd rather not talk to. 
Oh, I don't want to invite them to church. I wouldn't want them to come to my church. I wouldn't want to have to deal with them. I, if I invited them, then I might have to sit with them. And I might have to become a friend of theirs. And I have no intention of becoming a friend. Uh-huh. Hello? That's a flaming missile of the evil one. Anytime we begin to evaluate people in any way other than their value to Christ, we're in dangerous territory. Second flaming arrow. Our flesh tends toward self-preservation. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be attacked. We don't want to cross people up. We don't want to step on toes. We don't want to jeopardize our place. We don't want to deal with any kind of reaction. And so the fear of man rules us. The fear of man rules us, and we are reluctant, afraid, unwilling to share the gospel. We need a shield of faith. We need a breastplate of righteousness, a heart of compassion born out of our gratefulness for the righteousness we have in Christ. We need to know that gospel. We have to know it in our hearts. If we don't know it, we can't give it away. We have to have that belt of truth. We've got to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we've got to have those shoes on ready to go. In other words, ready to take a step beyond. To take a step into an unknown place. To take a step into an uncomfortable conversation. To take a step into a place that we would be normally nervous or intimidated or afraid to go. And step into it. There's one more weapon that's mentioned. And that is the weapon of praying. Of praying. Paul goes on in Ephesians 6 after describing the other parts of the armor. And he says this. Praying. He connects it to the armor. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. At the end of that description of all those pieces of armor, Paul adds on this. This is not, this is not an addendum. This is part of the fighting equipment of the saint. He says, and praying, praying consistently, praying at all times. And what does he say to pray for? To pray for an easier life? To just pray for personal wealth, for more stuff, for promotions, for happiness, for a relationship, for any number of things that consume us? Does he say, and praying for all those kinds of things? He says, no, pray for me. Get this, the Apostle Paul is saying, pray for me 
that I may have boldness. What? Any of us doubt the boldness of the Apostle Paul? That man who was stoned, who was whipped, who was maligned, at one point so badly that he was left for dead, people thought he couldn't have survived what he went through, the persecution that he endured, the prison that he endured, the hatred, the scorn of his fellow Jewish people. He's, he is saying, pray for me that I will have boldness to speak. And if you don't think you, need to, you don't need to pray for boldness. Let me say something. Paul the Apostle needs to pray for boldness. You darn well better be praying for boldness because that man was willing to step into any situation. And yet, in the moments of his humanity, in the moments of his frailty and his weakness, he says, pray for me that I would be bold to proclaim the gospel. I want you to take up the armor of God. I want you to take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. I want you to have the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And I want you saints to pray and pray that I would be able to open my mouth boldly. That God would give me the right words. And where is he praying this? In jail. He says, I am an ambassador in chains. You and I, the Bible says, are ambassadors for Christ. No chains. No chains. This man from a jail cell in chains is praying that God will give him the words that he will be able to speak boldly to his prison guards, to his fellow prisoners, to the, uh, to the uh, leaders of that area, that I will be able to speak boldly the truth about God. We have no chains on us. We are living in a day of freedom. It may not feel like it to some of you, but we are living in a day of great freedom, great ability, great opportunity. No one can stop you from talking to somebody about the gospel or saying what you believe. There are no chains on you. You're an ambassador without chains. I am an ambassador without chains. Would you say that with me? I am an ambassador without chains. Feel free to talk to me. I'd like that. I am an ambassador without chains. Paul is praying that he would be able in his situation not to be free, not to be healthy, not to have his needs met, none of those things. You say, Jeff, is it not okay to pray for those things? Of course it is. But Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. That's based praying for our needs. That's part of it. But let's face it, folks, for a lot of us, that's where we stop. That's where we stop. What does Paul pray for? He prays for none of those things in that moment. In that moment, he prays for the advancement of the gospel. 
no matter where I am, no matter how restrained I might be, no matter what they will do to me, no matter what chains are on my body, God empower me to advance the gospel in this place and to speak your word. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. So pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. So idea number three, final of this, is that nothing advances without prayer. Nothing of the kingdom of God advances without prayer. There is no harvesting without prayer. There is no harvesting without prayer. Prayer precedes the harvesting. The fields are widened to harvest, Jesus said. So, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into those fields. And folks, you've heard me say before on more than one occasion that we have got to be willing to be the answer to that prayer. We have to be willing to be the answer to that prayer. The men who heard Jesus say that all were answers to that prayer, to go into the world and to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, to go into those fields that are ripe for the harvest. Will we be an answer? Will we pray a prayer like that and will we be willing to be the answers to that prayer? Will we be people who will live a kind of myopic and self-centered Christianity concerned only with our personal success and well-being? Or will we live a type of Christianity that says that I am appointed as a steward, as an overseer of this portion of the inheritance that belongs to Jesus and that I am a co-heir of. I have some responsibility for this neighborhood I live in. I have some responsibility for these neighbors, for these co-workers, for these classmates. I have some responsibility for these people because they're part of the inheritance that belongs to King Jesus and therefore belongs to me, and he has left me here as his ambassador in this field to make an impact for the gospel. So how do we, what do we do with this? What do we do going forward as a church? What do we do going forward to, to, to move out of, the, of, of a place and I think we suffer from it to a degree, folks. To move out of a place of kind of just inwardness and, and, uh, and, a, and a bit of complacency. You know, just happy to be with each other, right? Just happy to come and worship together and happy to be with each other, right? And we don't feel, come on, we don't feel the weight of a lost world on our shoulders most of the time, do we? We don't feel the weight have lost friends and families. If you have a loved one, maybe a child or, or a spouse or parent who's lost, you might feel that weight a little more strongly. But by and large, we don't feel the weight of that. And I'm not suggesting that it means that we should walk around looking like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and, you know, being unhappy and sour pusses and, and, uh, and grumpy uh, 
people and and uh, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I am. So why are you so upset? Because I'm carrying you on my shoulders. I'm carrying you. You don't know Christ, do you? No. See, I'm carrying the weight of you on my. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a life of joy. The same, the same apostle who said, uh, pray for me, I'm an ambassador in chains, said, and I say to you, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So there is a rejoicing there that we are to be doing. So, so what, do we, what do we do? What do we do moving forward to try to bring some congruency between, again, the things that we know we should do and what we actually do. Because if we don't do anything, if we don't do anything, if we don't, if we don't take what we learn or what God speaks to us and we don't engage it in a meaningful way, that incongruency will become harder and harder to contend with, harder to live with. And so what do we do? Well, this fall, the D team and I are inviting all of, uh, of you, all of us, into a quest. When I wrote this originally, I wrote the word journey. And that's such an overused word in, in, in these, these days. I said, there's got to be a different word than journey. And so I'm inviting you onto, in a, into a quest. And that's even a better word. Because the journey can be, you know, easy, a journey can be hard, a journey can be, you know, whatever. But a quest, a quest is something different. A quest is something that requires some effort and some boldness and some strength and some resolve and some commitment. And I want to suggest to you that we have an opportunity this fall and going into the years ahead to move our church into a new place, a new dimension of living out our faith, living out who we are in the world around us for the sake of the gospel. We want to invite you into a quest that will move us away from being focused on the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, and move our focus onto the real holy trinity of the heart of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To have our hearts aligned with His heart. Quest, by definition, is a long or arduous search for something. This isn't about a quick fix. This isn't about a flash-in-the-pan type of a program or a short burst of energy. This is about investing steadily in our inheritance. Investing steadily in our inheritance. So this fall, and I'll just mention these briefly this morning because we'll lay them out a little bit more over the next four Sundays in September. But beginning the first Sunday in October, we will begin something we call Pray and go. Pray and go. An ongoing ministry with a beginning but no end date. It's about going into our neighborhoods, not to knock on doors, but to pray over the homes located in our inheritance territory. 
to pray over the homes located in our inheritance territory. This is warfare. This is warfare on a spiritual plane as we in prayer contend for our inheritance. It's warfare on an emotional uh, plane as we gain compassion and concern for our family and our neighbors. It's warfare on an intellectual plane as we engage in active discipleship that moves thinking into doing and gives us congruency between our words and our actions. This is being engaged, body, soul, and spirit, boots on the ground, if you will, taking the reign of Jesus into northern Virginia, taking the reign of Jesus into northern Virginia. What I said was taking the reign of Jesus into northern Virginia. Well, what I want you to step up to is this idea of taking the reign of Jesus into northern Virginia. I want you to own this idea of taking seriously that we have an inheritance area assigned to us, and we're going to invest in that inheritance. Somebody say amen to that. We'll start the first Sunday in October. And we'll tell you more about it, as I said, over the next few weeks. But I want you to be be assured of this. This is not complicated. It's not complicated. It's not hard to do. But it will provide. There's an easy on-ramp here. But it will provide a powerful impact for our communities and our church. It will make a difference in the life of our church. We can begin to see the culture of our church be transformed. The culture of our church transformed from being myopic into kingdom-oriented, from being self-absorbed to being absorbed with the heart of God for this world. It's an easy on-ramp. If you can pray, if you can walk, and if you can hang a door hanger on a doorknob, you can do this. You can be a part of this. Bring up, Peter, that section in there. Where, there we go. Now, you see up there, that, uh, that's, that's us. We got people all the way up there with the Blys. Uh, now, the Farleys, they've retired, but they were not, but, and then there's the Basses down there. And then we've got uh, Shane and Heather over there uh, closer to uh, D.C. And, and Norm's down there. And the Foxes are a little, little out there, but, but, but most of us are in that middle area of Fairfax, of Centerville, and uh, Manassas, etc. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin to pray monthly. Now, all I'm asking you for is 45 minutes of your time a month. Can anybody spare 45 minutes of their month? All right. Now, eventually, eventually, we'll want to be praying every week. And, and as we grow and as we have opportunities for that, we'll do that. But right now, what we want to do is we're going to, and we'll probably look at the first Sunday, maybe after lunch, first Sunday of the month, 45 minutes in your area. And hopefully we can team up a little bit in different areas. We're going to begin just praying. You're just going to be walking by. Now, we'll train you. You know, don't, don't worry. This is not like, okay, ready, go. 
not that, okay? We're going to train you. We're going to start in October. Is anybody even remotely excited about this? That what I'm, what I'm saying? Good, good. I appreciate that. Um, so we're going we're gonna to train you. And it basically, this is, this, is, this is walk and pray, not knock and talk, all right? Don't, don't worry about that. Now, if somebody happens to be out in their yard or that kind of thing, and you say hi, and they say, oh, what are you doing? Oh, we're just, you know, and you can just tell them. And listen, all that that little door hanger is going to say is this. We prayed for you today. We prayed for you today. If we can be of any service, if we can help you, if you want anything to to pray about, we'll give give these to you. Uh, This is where you can, how you can contact us. And we will be happy to pray, et cetera, okay? But we're, just, but we're just letting people know we're praying, okay? This is not marketing. This is letting people know that we're praying for them, all right? And so we're just walking and praying and walking and praying house by house by house until eventually we will have prayed for hundreds, thousands of homes in our area. Nothing advances without prayer. Nothing advances without prayer. And so we want to create within our church a culture of praying, a culture of praying faithfully and regularly. We'll have maps up, and so you'll be able to see week by week the streets that we're covering and and how that is growing and moving and how we are... uh, praying and interceding for our inheritance areas. And we'll be rejoicing together in that. We're praying that God will make us a people of prayer with a heart for prayer and a heart for the gospel. And it's important. One of the important things is that we do this together. You know what I find is that um, I, I, can, I can struggle in my own personal prayer life, I can struggle to be disciplined. I can struggle to be consistent. I know I should do something, you know, and then I get talked out of it usually by my head, right? And uh, I got to do something else first or et cetera, right? But you know what? If I'm, if I'm, sched- if I'm scheduled to meet John and, and Brenda and Zibby and I say, hey, we'll come over to your neighborhood and we'll, we'll walk with you. And we just get out and we walk together and we pray together. Well, I don't, I don't want to stand up John and Brenda. I don't want to talk myself out of going and being with John and Brenda. And you know what I get a chance to do? I get a chance to develop more friendship and community with John and Brenda while we're doing that. So we'll look for ways to team up and do this as a community of faith. But we're praying also that God will give us harvest. Give us harvest. And so just briefly, uh, we got to stop. In the month of October, we'll launch Pray and Go in October, and then we will also be launching what we call Who's Your One? Who's Your One? And what we're going to be doing is asking you to zero in, ask the Lord for a person that He wants to put on your heart to see come to Christ, that you want to see come to Christ. And we're going to enter into 30 days of prayer together as a church. 
We're gonna, we'll, give you a, uh, we'll give you a booklet that has prayers in it and that will tell you th- different things you can pray, different scriptures to pray. We'll give you a, a bookmark with those scriptures to, to pray that you can put in your Bible. And we will all begin praying. So there'll be over a uh, uh, hundred and whatever, how many people that are being prayed for all month long through this church. And we're going to ask God to bring in some harvest. We're going to ask to see His work take place and for people's lives to be changed for the gospel. Amen? It's going to be a great, great season. We're going, to do, we're going to do that, and we'll also be in that same season teaching you a new presentation of the gospel called the Three Circle Gospel. Very simple way to share Christ with others. So we'll be doing all of that leading up then to, our, to the Christmas season. And then in January, we will continue to pray every month, pray every month for our inheritance. We'll talk about sharing the gospel. We'll talk about reaching others, but we'll also begin a Bible study going through the book of Hebrews. Everybody say, yay, Hebrews. Yeah. Some of you have never read the book of Hebrews, have you, really, all the way through, but we will, and you're going to love it because it is a wonderful, wonderful book. Okay. Anybody, anybody besides me excited? Yep, are you? Good. Mark, Mark is excited. He is out there. He is excited. 